What's up, everybody? I am Ryan McNichols, host of Fantasy Oddballs Football Podcast. I am joined by my co-host, Rich Hauk, and our producer, Mike Coyle. We are talking everything Dynasty and season-long fantasy football. We dig through all the numbers so that you don't have to. Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, September 20th. Thanks for joining us again. We've just wrapped up week two of the NFL season and therefore week two of the fantasy football season. We've got a couple of things to get into this week. Uh, how are your fantasy teams doing so far, Rich? I am 0-2 in redraft in both leagues, and I am 2-0 in the dynasty. There you go. So you got something going for you. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it's so... Start. In the uh, one redraft league, I played a team that had a uh, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs stack, also with Tyreek Hill. Yeah. They had a really good defense on that team, too, didn't they? Yeah, they had that. They had the Bills defense. This dude had like the whole Bills team yesterday going against me. This whole team played like Monday night, and he finished with 197 points. It, yeah. it didn't matter what my team did; it was over. The rest of his team wasn't very good either. They put up like 10 points apiece everywhere else except for those four spots. Yeah, it was rough. Uh, yeah. So last week on the pod, I had mentioned how uh, I had lost in our dine or our one redraft league to somebody that I really want to win. I said that I would have taken losing in the other three leagues in order to win in that one. The fantasy football gods seem to misunderstand that I was specifically talking about that week and that matchup, and I didn't want that to happen this week. So that's what happened this week. I went 1-3 this week as opposed to my 3-1 and one last week. So I am 1-1 one one across the board in every league. I'm upset about my Dynasty League because I had a chance to win. As you know, you were here with me last night, mm-hmm. but just for everybody at home so you, so you can understand my frustration. Um, I should have won that matchup by, like, all rights and purposes. But Irv Smith with the drop. One there was a couple of, of things. Yeah. So, yeah. first off, at the end of the game there with the Vikings, the Vikings just get a garbage time touchdown from the 10 that goes to Irv Smith. I would have won that game. I lost by seven and a half points in this matchup. Seven and a half points, a little, a little under seven and a half points. If Eric Smith catches a touchdown at the end there on one of those last four plays, where they're at the ten yard line, I get. It. But they got a sack on third. Uh, was it second or third down? They got a sack, and then the Vikings decided they weren't even going to try, and they were just going to let the clock run out because they were done because it was a blowout. If Eric Smith catches that pass earlier, that was a sixty-plus yard reception. And a I win this matchup. Yeah. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I had said this at the beginning of the week when it happened, and I was like, if I lose by this many points, I will be extremely upset. So if you weren't watching the Chargers-Chiefs game, as the game wound down, Clyde Edwards-Alaire broke off a big run that he took quite a while, except he got to a point, he still had, he, he could have taken it to the house for a touchdown. He slid on down on close to the sideline without going out of bounds so that the clock would keep running and the Chargers would run out of time. Now the Chiefs end up having to settle for a field goal and they're up 10 points and the Chargers had an attempt amount of comeback. So it, it it's one of those things where it's almost the opposite of what happened with Nick Chubb this week, which we'll get into. Yeah, but I think the Chiefs would have been better off had he scored a touchdown there because then they're up two touchdowns, I suppose, because they still need to kick a field. It wasn't the same situation where there was as little time left as there was in the Jets game. There was still more time in this game, and you're playing Chargers Chief. You know that they have plenty of opportunities to, you know, score. So Clyde Edwards-Alaire slid. He had 33 more yards. He could have taken it to the house. That would have been 9.3 points. I would have won my matchup if that had happened. Allen Robinson should have had two touchdowns this weekend. If you weren't watching the Rams almost blow the game to the Falcons. Allen Robinson at one point, 
he had already had his first touchdown of the day. The Rams were in the red zone again, and they have a play where Allen Robinson comes in. He lines in the backfield. He they snap the ball. He runs out to the flat. They throw it to him out in the flat, and he gets it in the end zone for a touchdown. Offenses and defenses both start making their way off the field. Both offense and defense played the full play like nothing was wrong, nothing was going on. There was no whistles or anything. They start walking off the field. The rest wave off the play. They wave off the Allen Robinson touchdown. It was essentially like a five-yard touchdown catch, which would have given seven and a half points, which would have given me the match. So what happened? Why did they wave it off? Apparently somebody from above saw someone on the field who looked like they were exhibiting concussion symptoms, so they had to get them off the field. Wow. But the problem was the play had already run at that point. Like, there was no whistle anywhere to indicate that the play had stopped. The play had run. The play should have stood. You can't undo a play and take points off the game to pull somebody off the field, and I think it was a Falcons player, too. So, like, it, it, I don't know. Clyde should have had a touchdown. Irv Smith should have had another touchdown. He missed a big drop at the beginning of the game that should have gone for a touchdown. Allen Robinson and Clyde, like, I, I, just, I had four or five other opportunities to win that game. And it just didn't happen for me for stupid reasons. So, hey man, that's fantasy football. What are you going to do? Come oh. back next week. Try and get a win next week. Bird gang, 2-0. Go Birds. Go Birds. That's what you do. You celebrate the Birds absolutely trouncing the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football. All right, so moving past our own personal heartbreak with fantasy football, we've got some injury updates across the league. Some are big, some are minor, but we're going to get through them all. Let's start with the most position in, or most important position in fantasy and in NFL. That's the quarterback position. If you weren't watching the 49ers game this weekend, uh, you missed a gruesome injury to Trey Lance's leg. Yeah, it was brutal. So Trey Lance had surgery on his ankle. It's already undergone. It was season-ending surgery. He is out for the rest of this season. He should be back in time to start next season. Jimmy Garoppolo will be the starter for the 49ers moving forward. He's back. Jimmy G is back. We have different levels of enthusiasm about this. From a fantasy standpoint, Rich, does this really affect anything for you as far as the players go? Does it drastically change any of your opinions on Debo Samuel? It's an upgrade for the wide receivers. Okay, so despite the fact that it was, it didn't really seem like an upgrade this week. Yeah, it's his first action game action in how long? You know, give him a little bit. What of do you time. mean how long? Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> since last season when they were in the playoffs is that what you he mean? He was how hurt long? in the off season, right? He had to get surgery. He didn't play okay. in the preseason. He didn't play week one. Just steps in cold in, the, in a live game week two. You know, you know it's, there's going to be a little bit of rust there. Okay. I just you see what what Debo did last year with Jimmy G. We know what Kittle can do if he ever gets healthy. You know, it, it, we'll see with Ayuk, but I, I don't know. Debo Samuel stocks back up. That's the thing. Kittle doesn't seem healthy or like he's getting there. This running back situation continues to be an issue, and I don't know. It's I don't. It's this the, this team doesn't seem like it's as good as it was last year so far through a couple you know quarters of play. I know the first game was kind of a pour down rain game, but even this last one against Seattle was you know somewhat sloppy. I just. I don't know what to think of the 49ers. They don't they don't seem again, they just don't seem as good as they were last year. Maybe it, you know, maybe it was Trey Lance, maybe it's just, you know, they played in the rain and then they played Seattle so they haven't needed to necessarily play well. Right. We'll see. I've told you I like to wait until I've had 3 weeks of seeing something in order to fully understand it. This might take an extra week because of the quarterback injury, but you know, again, we'll see. Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo has been there long enough and has his own playbook and all there, that this there shouldn't be that huge of an adjustment period for him. Justin Herbert 
injured his ribs against the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday Night Football. He did finish that game. He came out. We found out that he has damage to his rib cartilage. So it's a fracture of the rib cartilage, not the ribs itself. It seems like it's more of a pain management issue. That being said, it is a tremendous amount of pain, especially for a quarterback when you need to use the torque in your upper body to throw the football. He looked visibly hurt in that game on Thursday night a few times where you were like, please get this guy out of the game like for for his own safety. like He, he looked like he was in a, in a tremendous amount of pain. And it was worrisome because like, there was one or two plays where he came out and he just wasn't able to take shots down the field. It almost seemed like he had to take those two plays off from throwing or doing anything so that he could make the throw he needed to make on but, third down. you got to give him credit, though, with the with the broken or fractured rib cartilage. He delivered two beautiful passes there on fourth downs on that last drive. He did. And he, again, he kept them in the game. We mentioned it earlier when we were talking about Clyde Edwards-Alaire and the possible comeback from the Chargers. I mean, the game was over, but it was a gutsy performance nonetheless on that last drive. Yeah, he. I mean, he did everything he could to try to get them back into that game. So we'll see how it is going forward for him. Again, he'll be out there. I mean, if he's limited in any way, do this. I mean, obviously, I imagine he's going to play if he finishes this game. But that's also, again, when you're in a game and you have adrenaline going, sometimes like that'll help numb the pain or dull it or anything. And he was visibly hurt during the game, so... Keep an eye on this. They've got some extra days to rest because, again, they played on Thursday night. So we'll see when the injury reports start coming out later on this week. If Herbert doesn't play, it's a significant downgrade. You're still starting Keenan Allen. Mike Williams would be, if you could find somebody else to flex, flex. Again, this is in the case that Herbert is out. If Herbert's out, I'm, I'm not starting Mike Williams or Josh Palmer. Yeah, I'd, Keenan uh, Allen would still be in. but still And Keenan Allen, we still need to see what he's going to do this week. We haven't had any... Haven't had any practice reports yet. He missed last week with an injury. He thought that he might be back in time for the Thursday night game. He wasn't. Again, now he's got 10 days until the next game. I imagine Keenan Allen should be ready for this upcoming week. Other than that, Jameis Winston played. He apparently, though, has four fractures in his back that he played through on Sunday. So that's something to keep an eye on going forward. I don't know how comfortable I am with my quarterback having four fractures in his back and playing all season. It hasn't seemed to have affected his ability to throw the ball downfield so far. You know, they've had some pretty competitive games up to this point. But, again, just something to keep an eye on. If, if Jameis Winston goes out, again, we saw what happened last year, and the value of guys like Michael Thomas and Chris Olave are going to tank significantly. So, after that, we move over to the running backs uh, situation as far as injuries go. James Conner ankle injury it doesn't seem like a serious thing there's optimism that he could play as soon as this upcoming week with him out we saw a lot more of Eno Benjamin for the Arizona Cardinals Darrell Williams or Damian Williams I forget I'm sorry I apologize for not knowing which one off the top of my head is still on IR for them or I'm sorry for the Atlanta Falcons Tyler Algier was active for them he saw a little bit more work Cordero Patterson not as much J.K. Dobbins, still injured, still hasn't made his comeback yet, despite his insistence in the offseason that he would be ready for game one. Yeah. Uh, Harbaugh called him week to week. Week to week. Today, yeah. That's not good. He would have been better off on IR. That's the thing. If he misses his game, they honestly would have been better off on IR. Because, yeah. what, he'll one less game than he would have. On IR this year, you miss four games. If you have to go on short-term IR, you miss four games. At that point, you know, he missed three. It would have been better off just have him take the four games off, get rested. Now, there may be 
There's some talk that the reason they didn't do that is because they're slowly working him back into practice. Even though he's not ready for the game, they're trying to work him back in slowly and not just immediately throw him into game action. So hopefully that works out for him. Another rib injury, this time at running back position with Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints. He did not play this past Sunday. We do not know the severity of this rib injury. Is enough to keep him out this week. We'll see this upcoming week. Keep an eye on the injury reports. If Alvin Kamara is out, I'm not really interested in anybody else in the Saints' backfield. If Alvin Kamara out, I honestly feel like it's a downgrade for most of the offense. Just feel they won't be as high scoring. They'll become one-dimensional and have to throw it. And again, Jameis Winston having some trouble with his back at the moment. Tyrion Davis-Price, high ankle sprain. He's going to be out for a few weeks. So I think they're talking somewhere around 6 to 8. That's usually the time period for a high ankle sprain. So 49ers running back, he is out. And who's the guy they're bringing in to be the backup there? Uh, I guess that would be Jordan Mason at this point. Jordan Mason. He up, and they, I believe they signed Marlon Mack. They yeah, elevated him. Yeah, yeah Marlon Mack was, pre, was on their practice squad. They elevated him to the active roster. So Marlon Mack and Jordan Mason will compete for backup duties behind Jeff Wilson. If you haven't picked up Jeff Wilson in your league, try to do that if you can. He should be the starting running back for the 49ers for the next six weeks or so because Elijah Mitchell is still out with his injury. <clears throat> After that, uh, not really significant, but Dontrell Hilliard for the Tennessee Titans. He has a hamstring injury. He was questionable for he's questionable this upcoming week. He just missed Monday Night Football. He's been kind of operating as the pass catching back for the Titans this week. It seemed like they kind of needed a pass catching back last night. They fell behind early and weren't able to catch up. They and, severely missed AJ Brown yesterday. They yeah. That's there's nothing been more obvious about the Tennessee Titans than the fact that they're missing a top wide receiver out there and. Traylon Burks operated as their number one this upcoming week. It was nowhere near the level of what you need, and it's nowhere near the level of A.J. Brown. So we'll see. It's encouraging to see that he's the number one wide receiver for the team in this upcoming in this past week. But we'll see going forward. Again, this is one of the, again, my nervousness too. Is just with this team, I, I there could be some huge changes coming, and there might be a, you know a new wide receiver one as soon as next year. So as far as dynasty concerns, that's my concern for Burks, but. We'll see how the season unfolds. Again, Tannehill, we didn't see a whole lot of the game last night with the way the doubleheader was set up. We watched the first half where the Tennessee Titans looked somewhat all right. They were running at least a little bit. bit. They weren't yeah. They weren't being blown out as soon as we thought they were. Can we pause for a second? Can we talk about how terrible of an idea that was to play both games like that at the same time? And, and to also, like, they're constantly <clears throat> updating you on one game while you're watching the other game. It's like, man, like, what if I was recording that other game and I'm going to watch it after? Like, what if I just wanted to sit there and record the Birds game, even though I wouldn't do that, I'm an Eagles fan, but I'm sure there's somebody out there who did. It's like, I'll record the second game, fully watch the first one, and then I'll get into the second one. And you can't do that now, thanks to ESPN. We appreciate you. Yeah. No more two games on Monday night in week two. Why week two? It wasn't even week one. Week one, okay, I understand it. Week two, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it at all because you could make more money by having people watch both games separately. The, the, the and two broadcasts cannibalize apart. each other. Like, I, it drives me insane. And like you said, you, it's almost like you get, no matter which game you watch, you get spoilers from the other one. So it's like, you know, what's your incentive to then go back and watch it? You there know, isn't. Like, like you said, if I, if I want to watch the first game the entire time, then maybe I want to use, you know, the ESPN Plus or whatever it is they're doing with all the streaming services to go watch it. Why would I go watch that game then when you've updated me with all the plays and I already know how it's going to turn out and happen? And it's like, you know, well, at that point, I'll just turn on and see the highlights the next day because yeah. you've point? already said, like, you know. So, I, I, I just, like you said, I think it's a terrible idea, 
And like I said, we watched most of the first half for the the Bills game. We, we kind of figured it would get out of hand quickly, but we're Eagles fans, so we wanted to see the Eagles game, and we switched over to that one. And I, you know, I just felt better watching that. I don't know how. I feel like I learned more watching the Eagles play the Vikings than I would have watched from the Bills absolutely destroying the Titans. It wasn't close really in either game, but we knew we know what the Bills are and what our expectations were for the Bills. The Eagles had a lot more question marks, and I think we got a lot more answers this week about what the Eagles team are, and I'm yeah. feeling really great about where they're going this yeah. season. Yeah, we'll get into that. Let's keep it rolling through these injuries. Yep, try to wrap these up a little quicker. Yeah. Rondell Moore could be a hamstring injury. He hasn't played yet this season. He's missed the first two weeks. He could still be a few more weeks away. Not a whole lot of clarity on exactly you know what seri- level of seriousness the hamstring is, if it's a pull, if it's a strain, if it's a tear, whatever it is. We just know it could be a few weeks. Greg so, Dortch. Greg Dortch should still be solid, relevant. Solid flex option for a couple weeks. Until DeAndre Hopkins comes back, then I manage to be Hopkins, Green, and Marquise Brown out there. AJ Green, man, he looks rough out there. I know he yeah. caught that touchdown, but hey. You know, so maybe Dortch takes his place. We'll see something to monitor going forward. I do think, you know, if you're in a tough spot, or I do think Dortch is borderline flex worthy this week. I have him just outside the top 30, but. With just Marquise Brown and him there, it's their target. Their target share hasn't been that far off between the two of them. So Dorch has been much more effective with his targets, but he if that's going to be the case going forward, especially this upcoming week where they're going to need to score some points. I feel like Dorch could have some flex value, especially if you're in like a deeper you know league. Devin Duvernay ha- suffered a concussion in this past game. We'll see where he's at. He's been sort of operating as the de facto number one for the Baltimore Ravens. He was leading in targets up until he got knocked out. If he's back, it's a slight downgrade for Rashad Bateman. But, again, I'd like to have a third week to see kind of how everything pans out with this team because Bateman had a big week this week with DuVernay out. Could have earned him a little more trust. And we could see Bateman firmly secure the number one role even with DuVernay back. So I'd like to get one more game before I come to a drastic conclusion about those guys. Gabe Davis had an ankle injury. The Bills didn't even... I think the Bills, like you said earlier, knew that they didn't need him to win this game. They just decided, just take the rest. Get right. We'll come back. We don't need you to beat the Titans. Velus Jones Jr. Jr. for the Chicago Bears has still yet to make a season debut. He's dealing with a hamstring injury. That has not helped Darnell Mooney or Cole Komet. Cole Komet at this point is a drop for me. Darnell Mooney should be on your bench, and he's getting to drop territory as well. Jerry Judy's day-to-day with a rib injury. There's been a couple of different things issued about what it is. Ultimately, it turns out that it's a rib injury for Jerry Judy. He's day-to-day. We'll see if he's able to go this week. If not, it should be a boost for Cortland Sutton. Again, the Broncos, I know we'd like to have three weeks. The first two weeks have kind of been the same, that they've been consistently bad. I'm hoping they can kind of get right this upcoming week. Yeah, we'll see. It uh, hasn't been good for them, though. I mean... I don't know how confident I am in a quick turnaround. No, the coach can't. E- the coaches can't even get the plays in on time. Like, and that really messes it up when you're a quarterback and you've got about ten seconds to tell your guys to play, get them lined up, read the defense, and make any necessary adjustments or prepare for where you're going to go on that upcoming play. So, we'll see if this gets better as the season goes along. KJ Hamler, you know. He's also suffering a knee hip injury. You would expect him to see maybe a few more targets if Jerry Judy is out. I wouldn't throw Jer- even if Jerry Judy's out. I'm not throwing KJ Hamler into my lineup. Alec Pierce had a, has 
had a concussion. He developed symptoms after the game in week one. He missed week two because of it. Michael Pittman Jr. suffered a quad injury during practice. He also missed the game. The Colts severely missed their pass catchers in that game. Nothing was more obvious. The Colts got shut out on offense. They didn't score a single point against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if you're wondering why, those are the reasons. Nicole Hardman suffered an ankle injury. Not a whole lot of update on his uh, condition at the moment. We'll see how long that is. Like Patrick Mahomes said earlier this season, though, who the number one target is on this team is going to change from a week-to-week basis. I don't know that I can confidently start any of the Kansas City Chiefs wide receivers as you know a wide receiver one or two. If you're putting him in the flex, you're just hoping that he's the guy that goes off that week for Patrick Mahomes. Justin Watson, shoulder injury again, another Chiefs receiver. If you're asking who Justin Watson is, he came in, he caught a deep touchdown pass for the Kansas City Chiefs when Nicole Hardman went out with his injury. Hunter Renfro for the Las Vegas Raiders suffered a concussion on his uh, second fumble of the day. It was a pretty hard hit. We'll see whether or not he's able to clear concussion protocol in time. Keenan Allen, as we talked about before, missed the pass game with an ankle. Mike Williams stepped up in his act, in his absence. If Keenan, Allen's, if Keenan Allen's able to go, I'm downgrading Mike Williams a bit again, putting Keenan Allen closer into the top 15. Mike Williams just outside of the top 15 in that area. If Keenan Allen's not able to go, Mike Williams will be around. It'll be a little bit higher inside of the top 15, most likely. Unless Justin Herbert is hurt, and then I'd be very nervous about starting Mike Williams. Van Jefferson for the Los Angeles Rams, who had offseason surgery on his knees, still out. Cedric Wilson for the Miami Dolphins is dealing with a rib injury. Not sure how serious that is. And Wondell Robinson of the New York Giants is day-to-day with a knee issue that he suffered in this past game that forced him out. As far as tight ends go, tight end Dalton Schultz suffered a PCL sprain to his right knee. It seems like he's going to miss a few weeks, although, again, if you ask if the Cowboys, it seems like he'll, he has a chance to play this week. We'll see about that. Your dudes are never hurt. They're always – like, I heard Dak Prescott might play this week. I saw that. There was that floating around there. It's just like, dude, like, do they just, like, heal faster than everybody else? What is it down there? The Cowboys um, – I can't say it. Never mind. I'm not going to accuse them <laughs> of anything illegal on the podcast. Um, Good idea. Smart move. George Kittle missed week two again with a groin injury. We'll see if he's back for week three. There's been a lot of vagueness as to what's going on with George Kittle. It's really hurting because Dalton Schultz and George Kittle were drafted to be top five, six tight ends that they're, you know, so losing those two is kind of hurting, especially with all the other tight ends underperforming. Drew Sample for the Cincinnati Bengals is dealing with a knee issue. Donald Parham for Los Angeles Chargers is a hamstring. He's still yet to play. And C.J. Uzama of the New York Jets is dealing with a hamstring injury. The coach already called him a game-time decision. If on Tuesday you're calling a player a game-time decision, my bet is that player is most likely not playing this upcoming week. Probably not. So that wraps up for injuries. I know there was a lot for me to go through right there, but we are now going to shift over to our game reviews. We've got a new sort of setup going, kind of keep us a little more organized. If you've been following us, you'll know that our week one reaction was spanned across three episodes and was over three hours long. We're going to try to not do that every week, so we've got a little bit of a new format set up. Yeah, no producer here last time. We uh, we went a little overboard, maybe. <laughs> Just a little bit? Just a little bit. Maybe went a little long. And if you can't tell again... There is no producer here yet again. My coil is not with us here today. It is just me and Rich hanging out. So we have come up with some segments, though, to guide us through the game so that we can stay on track and just talk about the important things. So 
We are going to start off with our first segment. Rich, I'll introduce the segment, and then, I'll let, and then I'll let you start off with the game. So the segment we are going to do now is called Bald, Bailed, or Bowed. So it's, we're looking at each game, and we're finding players who balled out, players who were bowed out by a big play, and players who bowed out of the game and just didn't show up on the stat sheet or had minimum effect on the fantasy outcome. So, Rich, start off with our first game. All right, we'll kick it off with Thursday Night Football. We had the Chiefs taking on the Chargers. Chiefs won 27-24, to 24, and we will, we will start with Bald? Yeah, let's start with Bald out. Okay, so who balled out? We got uh, Mike Williams. Absolutely, he balled out. Eight catches, 113 yards, and a touchdown. Yep, no Keenan Allen this game we talked about earlier, so against the Kansas City Chiefs, we kind of expected this. Guy who was bowed out, though, was Josh Palmer. I know there's been a lot of hype for Josh Palmer in the offseason, but, I mean, he didn't really do much with... You know what was given, especially with Mike or with Keenan Allen being out this game. You definitely expected more from Josh Palmer um, with no Keenan Allen. He only he converted half of his targets. He was four of eight. Four I mean, of eight for thirty yards and a touchdown. So he got you thirteen points. However, he was bowed out with the one play. Yeah. It was a seven-yard touchdown catch. That's seven of his points right there. If he doesn't get that, he's got six points yeah, in a disappointing game. Very pedestrian stat line before that touchdown. And then the player who bowed out of that game, another Chargers wide, or yeah, another Chargers wide receiver, DeAndre Carter. He had three catches on three targets for 55 yards last week. He almost operated as their number two wide receiver. He had a big week. A lot of guys were looking to claim him off the waiver wires, and we said, you know, this is week one. Fool's gold. Yeah, weird things happen. Keenan Allen went out. They weren't really sure. There's a difference between when a player goes out in in a game, how the offense will adapt. Versus when you know the player is going to be out the whole week, how your offense will adapt. You have a different game plan sure. to involve different players and different ways to fill that role. So last week it seemed like DeAndre Carter just defaulted into Keenan Allen's role. Now that they knew they didn't have Keenan Allen, they adjusted their offense to focus more on Mike Williams. As far as the Kansas City Chiefs go, their top performers were Patrick Mahomes with 17.3 points. A little surprising. You would expect a little bit more from Patrick Mahomes. Clyde Edwards-Alaire with 15.8 points, and Justin Watson with 13 points. Justin Watson would also be another guy who was bowed out. He had a long touchdown catch that got him his points, absent that. Again, he's not, do much, yeah. he wouldn't do much. He's not somebody that you need to spend fab money on to go pick up or grab. Again, Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver is going to be a crapshoot. Justin Herbert, 23.46 fantasy points. Austin Eckler had 18.4. Gerald Everett, 13.1. Gerald Everett could have had more points, but the Chargers committed malpractice a couple times in this game. So there was two points in this game where a player, I saw a player on the Chargers team look at the sideline and say, yo, take me out of the game. And the Chargers were just straight up like, no, go back in there. We need that's, to get you the ball. That's what led to that pick six in that game. I mean, we saw it when it happened. We, we watched it. We called it out. Gerald Everett's bagging off that field. He's winded. He just had a nice catch for, for a decent run there before that. Ran he, through some guys on that play, I think too. he had another catch, like a play or two before that on the drive. Like, if a dude's ass is going to be off the field, like, he's, it's a, there's a reason. Yeah. Like, he, he, needs, he needs air. He needs wind. Give him, give him a play. And then, no, nah, they put him back on the field. What happens? He runs a tired route. And then the, the route gets jumped and picked yeah. and ran back. Not only did they put him out there on the field that the tired. That was the game. <laughs> Not only did they put him on the field tired. They then immediately go to him with the football. Yeah. There was no reason for them to be primary option. There was no reason for them to be doing a hurry up like, either. If like you, if you get the chance, I beg you, go back and watch that play again, and just watch Gerald Everett before the ball snapped. 
Everybody else is upright, ready for the play. My man's hunched over, sucking wind. And, like, it, it sucks for what happened because he had a good game. He was effective. And then for that to happen and that to be, you know, what we're talking about now, instead of Gerald Everett had a good performance. as He had 13 points. Like, that's a nice performance from from him as a tight end. Like, now we're talking about the, the pick six that, you know. Yeah. And like you said, the Chargers were leading up until up until and even after that point, but that t- shifted the momentum in the Chiefs' favor. And again, it was just one of those things where, like you said, they went. He was clearly tired, and they made the option to go back to him. And it was a play. It happened earlier in the game. There wasn't as negative a consequence, but Austin Eckler like broke off a huge run, and I see Austin Eckler hunched over, like you said, trying to catch his breath, point at the sideline, like "Yo, take me out." And they were like, "No, no, no, no." And then he came out and ran a run play with Austin Eckler, like right up the middle for seven yards. And I'm, uh, I was like, that seemed kind of weird. And then they did it later on. It actually cost him. I'm like, see, that's why you can't do that's how that. People get hurt, man. <laughs> And then putting Justin Herbert back out there with the damaged ribs to hope that they could come back when they were down 10 points. You know, they need to score a touchdown and then get an onside return and then, you know, kick a field goal. Which we've seen, we saw happen later on this week, some crazy comeback victories. But uh, it just seemed kind of silly to risk, the da- when you're down two scores, to risk Justin Herbert, who was clearly in pain. And he came out, and after he took that shot to the ribs that hurt him, he came out on the next play and took another shot to his ribs that you know, further hurt him. So that's enough from that game. Again, we don't want to get too into it. Gerald Everett, he still did go back to Gerald Everett, so it's not like he completely lost faith in Gerald Everett after that pick it's six. Unfortunate scenario, man. That was a shame. Yeah. CEH, I mentioned earlier, he could have had an additional nine points. But at this, honestly, with where you drafted CEH, you can't complain. He's had, over, he's had 15.8 points this week and 19 points last week. You can't complain with that from a guy you drafted to be RB3, RB4 on your team. The next game we're going to go to for bald, bailed, and bailed is the Detroit Lions versus the Washington Commanders. So you want to start off with this one, Rich? Yeah, so the Lions won that game 36-27. to uh, We'll start with a couple uh, notes from the game. Uh, Commander starting center Chase Roulier. Is that how you say? Is that Roulier? I'm not Roulier. positive about that. Roulier, Roulier. We'll, we'll get it. We'll check on that. Apologies. Um, he's on the IR with a knee injury. Um, their backup center, uh, Wes Schweitzer, is gonna, uh, supposed to take his spot, but he missed last week with a hamstring, so he's questionable going into week three. So that offensive line could be a little banged up in week three for the commanders. Yeah, and we saw this week there was much less effectiveness from Antonio Gibson. He averaged two yards a carry this week after having a big week one, so that is probably very related to Chase Ru- Chase Rouye being out, we'll both say it wrong and get it wrong together and have people's call us out. It doesn't matter. It is what it is. But if they're playing their third-string center against the Philadelphia's defensive line, that's going to be a problem for the commanders in this upcoming week. So that could lead to more throwing for them. I mean, in this game, then, we'll just hop over to right back into our segment. The, yeah. yeah, let's hop into our segment, which you started off. All right. Who balled out in this game? Amon Ross. Yes, yeah. he did. 39.4 fantasy points. It's a monster day. Who, guy who bailed, was bailed out of this game, DeAndre Swift, surprisingly. He had 50 of his 56 yards on one rush. Not only that, he had 22 of his 31 passing yards on one catch. So, essentially two of his plays got him most of his points. Now, that being said, he had rolled his ankle. He was on the snap count for this week, so that's why they didn't use him as much. So, still pretty effective in the limited role. You're yeah. happy with it, you know? Exactly. 
So, yeah, I mean, DeAndre Swift, he had seven total touches, and he got you 16.7 fantasy points. That's efficiency, man. So, can't complain about that. Yeah. It would have been nice if he could have done more, but it is what it is. Guy who was uh, Another guy who was bad out of this game was Logan Thomas. He had one catch for a touchdown. Gives him a seven points. From a tight end, though, you'll take it, yeah. but he doesn't seem to be with Curtis Samuel... Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson there, he doesn't seem like he's heavily targeted there. And nah, he, he's, he's lower in the pecking order. Terry McLaurin was another guy who got bailed out. He had a 35-yard catch. That's four and a half of his points. He only scored you about 12 points this week, so didn't do a whole lot for you. He had 12.2 points. So, again, that was a third of his points on one play. He is firmly behind Curtis Samuel as far as targets go, and him and Jahan Dotson are essentially competing for that number two role. It just seems like Dotson's getting more touchdowns than him. So, guys who bowed out of this game, we just didn't see. TJ Hawkinson, where were you? Yeah. It was all Amon Ross St. Brown. 5.6 points from TJ Hawkinson. That's a disappointment. Expect more from Hawk. Jamal Williams, you would have thought that with DeAndre Swift on a pitch count and only getting seven touches, that we would have seen a lot more of Jamal Williams, who vultured two touchdowns from him last week. But we didn't really see anything from Jamal Williams this week. He had 12 carries for 53 yards and one catch on one target. So, I'm again, this, this goes to my point where which running back is more effective. And like when you needed to rely on Jamal Williams to be your guy, wasn't necessarily effective for you and is not doing it. So I understand, you know, DeAndre Swift was hurt, and that's probably why the goal line touches got vultured and they gave it to Jamal Williams there. Why isn't a guy with a rolled ankle through the defensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles? So better days ahead for DeAndre Swift, I would say. Jamal Williams, his role, it's essentially what seemed like it happened last year, where week one he vultured some touchdowns and had a big game, then he fell right back into being the backup to DeAndre Swift. And then DJ Chark. Put up a donut this week for me in Dynasty. Part of the reason that I lost, I could have started Nico, Nico Collins over DJ Chark, and I would have won my match as well. That would have got it for me. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, as far as the commanders go, Carson Wentz, 27.78 points. Curtis Samuel, 22.9 points. Jahan Dotson, 17.9 points. J.D. McKissick got 13.3. Logan Thomas, who mentioned earlier, is 12.7. McLaurin, 12.2. And Antonio Gibson, 12.1. Those are all usable fantasy pieces. My concern, yeah. what? again, I want one more week with this receiving core. As far as this week goes, I have Curtis Samuel ranked well ahead of Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson, and I'm struggling with what to do with Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson because we can keep saying that Terry McLaurin should be the one, but if Curtis, Samuel's get, yeah, if Curtis Samuel gets all the targets and Dotson's getting all the touchdowns, then McLaurin is going to be... It's the second week in a row he's the third scoring wide receiver for the Washington Commanders. Any other final thoughts on anybody in this game? Josh Reynolds, 12.8 points. I'm not really buying into that. I'm not wasting any time. It's going to be St. Brown. DeAndre Swift will be more involved. TJ Hawkinson will be more involved going forward. And we might see Jamison Williams at some point this season. Just shout out Jared Goff for a good day. 26.04 points. I mean, it's a good day. Oh, yeah. I skipped over Jared Goff. I apologize. He's, for, we, he's forgettable. So, <laughs> with these two teams, do we expect these offenses to continue this going forward? Because this is just a, a lot of volume and a lot of scoring from two offenses um, we weren't really expecting this from. So, that's back-to-back weeks for the Lions. 
Um, I'm, I'm forgetting the score for last week for the Commanders game. It's escaping me. There was another game where yeah. Carson went through for a lot of yards, and these guys had a lot of you know points. And I believe we'll Carson Wentz was over 300 yards last week as well. He was mistaken. over 300 yards. I just can't remember how many points the team scored total. 28. 28-22 to 22 against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So 28 points week one, 27 points this week. So the Lions over 35 both games. 35 week one, 36 week two. Uh, we'll see after week three, but we're, it looks to be the beginning of a trend. I mean, we'll see what happens. I think I'm, I'm more inclined to believe in the Lions as an offense that's capable of doing this than I am the Commanders. As crazy as that may sound. I don't think it sounds crazy. I think we, you know, last year everybody felt that the Lions were a team that was scrappy and that was fighting, and we felt like the Commanders didn't really seem to know what they were doing. Kind of seemed like that this offseason, too, with the whole, you know, McLaurin holdout, Gibson, you know, possibly being replaced by Brian Robinson. We weren't sure if Logan Thomas would be back, so Curtis Samuel wasn't used at all last year. So it was a lot of surprises from the Washington Commanders that we weren't seeing, whereas I feel like the Lions were a little bit... We expected another step forward, I guess, almost from the Lions in year two of yeah. Dan Campbell. So, again, like I said before, we want the third week to see how everything goes. Maybe both these teams collapse next next week, and we're talking. We're back to hey, this is the Lions and the Commanders, and one week they could be great, and next week they could be blah. Final team we're gonna do for bail. Bald, bailed, and bound. I've gotta get this down if we're gonna be doing this. This is the New York Jets versus the Cleveland Browns. So, first off, overall, the New York Jets were bailed out by the Cleveland Browns' ineptitude. The Cleveland Browns' defense bowed out of the end of the game as did their special teams. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, <laughs> the first guy we're going to talk about bowled out, rookie Garrett Wilson, 30 fantasy points. Put a 30-burger up. Go ahead, Rook. Garrett Wilson had 14 targets. He caught eight of them for 102 yards and two touchdowns, including the game winner. He looks like the guy. Yeah, it was a hell of a performance. So Elijah Moore still technically out-snapped him and ran more routes, but this is the second week in a row where I've just been really impressed from what I've seen from Garrett Wilson. So I'm struggling with finding a way of keeping Garrett Wilson out of one, uh, out of a couple of my lineups that I ha- have him in because I've had some other guys ahead of him. Uh, I see guys like Drake London and Christian Kirk competing with guys that I actually drafted to be my starters, but... He's working his way into being solidly with inside the top 20. I have Garrett Wilson at t- uh, twenty at 17 going into this week okay. at this moment in time, absent knowing some injury updates on some players. Garrett Wilson, I have wide receiver 17 this week, especially when you consider the fact that they are playing the Cincinnati Bengals. Could potentially be a high-scoring game if the Bengals get their things together. We'll see. You know, the Jets have had a lot of volume these past two weeks. Maybe this is the week that doesn't fall apart. That's why I'm hesitant to necessarily put Garrett Wilson in. I'm still going with Drake London over him because his volume's been more consistent. But he's, I mean, he's right there for me, in all honesty, with the way some of these other... Some of these matchups make me nervous, too, is what it is. Some of these matchups and target shares and uncertainty about injuries, this rankings could change a lot before the week starts. I'll let people know again on Thursday. And for you listeners, to let you know, we're going to start getting involved more on our Twitter account, at Fantasy Oddballs. Thursday nights, or Thursday afternoons, I'll be tweeting out my top 30 at wide receiver, top 25 at running back, and then the top 20 and top 15 at quarterback and tight end, respectively. So those will go out Thursday on our Twitter account, if you're curious to see where my rankings are at, for any last-minute decisions. 
that'll be there. Rich at some point will start working towards doing the same thing. He's got more going on than I do at the moment, though. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there eventually. We'll get there eventually. More guys who balled out. Nick Chubb, 32.3 fantasy points this week for the Cleveland Browns. Can I just say that this loss is not Nick Chubb's it's fault? Not Nick, no, it's not. There's a lot of other... A lot of other parts to that than just Nick Chubb. So again, if you didn't see this game, and you may not have because it's, you know there are only two games that were broadcast here, and it was the Carolina game and then the uh, Giants game, or the Giants played Giants Carolina. played Carolina, and then you had New England and Pittsburgh. Oh uh, yeah, two barn burners. We yeah, got didn't want to watch either of those. So if you missed the Jets Browns game because you were stuck with those two games, it was the Browns ahead for most of the game. What happened was. As the game got towards the end, in the fourth quarter, it was about a minute and 50 seconds left or so. Nick Chubb gets a run play. He breaks off a big run, or I'm sorry, a little pass play. And he breaks it off, and he takes it to the house, essentially, and scores a touchdown. Now, he could have slid down at the one-yard line. Jets had no timeouts, and the Browns could have nut the ball out. And the Jets couldn't do anything to stop it, and they could have won the game that way. My problem is the offense didn't call, like, if, if you were just going to kneel the ball out, you should have just knelt it on that play. Like, you called a run play, handed it to your running back, and told him to run the football. So he did just kind of what his instincts were, and he ran and he scored a touchdown. That puts them up, though, two scores. I'm sorry, puts them up 13 points. What then happens is the most Cleveland Browns thing ever. The Cleveland Browns come out. And they missed the extra point. So now they're only up 13 points instead of 14 points. Cleveland Browns kick the ball to the New York Jets. New York Jets get the ball. They run two plays. The second play is a 66-yard touchdown pass to Corey Davis from Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco to Corey Davis. This is 2022, by the way, not 2016, if you were confused at all. Joe Flacco threw a 66-yard touch or 60-yard-plus touchdown pass to Corey Davis. The Jets are still down. They make, they kick the extra point. They make it. They're still down six points. They have no timeouts left. They need to recover an onside kick. Well, wouldn't you know it? The Jets recover an onside kick. Kamari Cooper doesn't make the recovery. The Jets get the ball. The Browns can still win this game. They just need to stop the New York Jets from scoring a touchdown with you know about a minute and 20 or so left. They cannot do that. They allowed the Jets to go down, score a touchdown, kick the extra point to go up one point, and then the Browns get the ball back with 10 seconds left, and they can't do anything because you've got Jacoby Brissett as your quarterback and not a whole lot at the skill position. So the problem is not Nick Chubb ran in for a touchdown and put them up. The problem is your kicker missed an extra point. Your defense allowed Joe Flacco to score on a 60-yard touchdown pass and only take about 20 seconds off the clock. Your special teams then allowed... Yeah, I mean, there's... Like you're saying, <laughs> they gave up two touchdowns and an onside kick in a minute and 50 seconds. I guess not Nick Chubb's fault. No. So, I know some people were giving Nick Chubb a little slack for that I because, mean, you know, if they kneel... But again, if, if you just wanted to kneel it out, you could have knelt it out. Why even, ha- why even run the run play with Nick Chubb? Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I mean... It, the right football move is probably what Clyde did. You know what well, Chubb but, probably should have done was, was fall down. But, what, but when Clyde did it, it wasn't the right move though, because there was much more time left yeah, in the Chargers but, game. I, you see, like why he did it, you understand why. But it's just like you can't put the blame on Chubb for that. You, can, you absolutely cannot. Right. 
So despite that Nick Chubb did ball out in this game, he had 17 carries for 87 yards and three touchdowns. He also caught three of three targets for 26 additional yards, so a little bit of involvement in the passing game. One of the t- few running backs who was consistent for or useful for you in both week one and week two. He's RB1 right now in terms of scoring. Uh, Amari Cooper also balled out in this game, 25.1 points. When we didn't see him at all last week, so good for Amari Cooper. He caught 9 of 10 targets for 101 yards and a touchdown. Wasn't expecting something like that for a Browns wide receiver. Players who were bowed out this week, the aforementioned Corey Davis, he caught a 66-yard touchdown pass. So that is 8.6 of his 16.3 points. Literally half of his points came on one play. He was bowed out by that one big play. And then bad out of this game was Elijah Moore, 6.5 fantasy points. Not a whole lot of involvement, despite the heavy volume. It's one of the reasons that I'm heavy on Garrett Wilson, even though I was before the season as well. I think that's why it's easier for me to have Garrett Wilson in the top 22. Is I was much higher on him coming into the season because I was lower on Elijah Moore because we've had this conversation before. Slot receiver versus an outside wide receiver who's got a wide receiver one build. And it's just it showed up so far through the first two games. Other than that, Brees Hall had a decent game, 13 fantasy points. He's still technically being outsnapped by Michael Carter, who had 10 fantasy points himself. So, again, it almost seems it's going to be like a game script thing where the Jets are going to have a chance to be ahead, which I don't imagine will be too often, and you might see some more Brees Hall. When they're not, you'll see a little bit more Michael Carter. That being said, Brees Hall still is involved in the passing game and is still a useful asset. I want another week before I make a decision on how high Brees Hall falls or, or rises. Anything from you on this game other than that? That was a fun, exciting game. Again, this is another thing we're expecting the Jets. This is the second week in a row where the Jets have had a huge passing volume like that. Are we still? Yeah, Flacco's look good. I mean, we'll see if it continues, but, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd bet on that going forward. All right, same. But it's fun while it lasts. Yep. All right, so that is it for our first session of Bald, Bailed, and Bowed. And we are going to move on to our next segment that we're doing. It's called Bold Strategy, Cotton. I really couldn't think of anything else to come up with for this game. The Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Indianapolis Colts. Jags won 24 to nothing. <laughs> Mike, in case you didn't know, Michael Pittman missed this game with a quad injury. He suffered in practice. It was a late injury, so we'll see if he's back for this upcoming week. It seems like he is. Yeah, I think he's listed as day-to-day at this point. Alec Pierce, their second-round rookie, who's been acting essentially as their number two wide receiver, showed concussion symptoms after week one's game, and he ended up missing this week because of that. They both look like they should be on track to be available for week two. That being said, we never know with concussions with how they are, and we're not, we've not gotten a lot of clarity on Michael Pittman. You would think, then, if your top two pass catchers are out, you might, you just might, Use the NFL rushing leader from last year. Hands down the best football player on your team outside of Michael Pittman and maybe an offensive lineman or two. Why would you do that? When You don't want a 90-year-old Matt Ryan to throw the ball 50 times? Matt Ryan has looked awful. <laughs> Jonathan... I think I said 90 years old. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely... He's clearly past his prime at this yeah, point. Yeah, man, it's, it's rough. But I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, man. It's, it's tough. You got Jonathan Taylor there, and how many touches did he have? Ten total touches. He had nine carries and one target. And even if you want to tell me it's because they're behind and they they don't want to run the ball, throw the man the ball. 
Throw him some screens, some swing passes. Like, do something. Give the man the ball. I mean, he had nine carries for 54 yards. I think he broke off two, like, consecutive, like, 21-yard rushes at one point, which would have been most of his production for the run game there. But still, like, like you said, like, what I don't get is you can sit there and say, oh, well, you're behind. you got to throw the ball to keep up. Well, at this point, you're not moving your offense by throwing the ball. It's like if you can at least move the offense running, yeah, it's going to take long, but at least you're moving and you're keeping their offense on the off the field so they're not scoring at least for you and you're wearing the defense down. Right. And maybe you use Jonathan Tower to wear the defense down for the first half when you come out in the second half, then you can get some of the passing game going. But, I mean... Frank Reich, we talked about this last week. I went on a rant, rant about Frank Reich and, and, you know, the softness and the, you know, the lack of gumption when it comes to play calling. And, I mean, there's nothing clearer than this. Paris Campbell, who you would have thought would have gotten involved then as the number one pass catcher, was a complete ghost. He didn't put up any – didn't show up on the stat sheet. Donut for you if you thought you were clever starting Paris Campbell. I don't understand the strategy. Why, why are you not – using, like, why are you not using Jonathan Taylor, the best player on your team, when you the rest of your team's, I just, I don't know. And I felt like, again, the game didn't get out of hand right away, and it just seemed like from the get-go they were intent on not using Jonathan Taylor. So it, it snowballed and snowballed, and next thing you know, they're down 24 nothing. Yeah. So how many more games before the Indianapolis Colts owe Carson Wentz an apology? Because from what I've seen the first two weeks, it doesn't seem like it was a Carson Wentz problem. Seems like they have the same issues with Matt Ryan that they have with Carson Wentz that they have with Phillip Rivers. Seems like it uh, might be a Frank Reich problem. Yeah. I mean, he's the one consistency, right? That's what I'm saying. I'm, getting, I'm more and more on that train of Frank Reich is the issue here. And it, while we're on the topic of Frank Reich, I don't want to hear another Eagles fan tell me that Frank Reich was the reason the Eagles won the Super Bowl, that it wasn't Doug Peterson. I don't ever want to hear it again. Look Doug. what he just did, though, with the Jaguars. The Colts have a superior roster. Beat them 24 nothing, Smack them up and down the field. So, the other uh, bold strategy in this one, except the opposite. So, the first one, bold when I said bold strategy cotton for the Colts, it was kind of, you know, insulting where it's like, you know, let's see if let's see if this pays off for them when there's no way it could do it. This uh, bold strategy for the Jaguars worked out going with Dougie P and getting, Kirk, and getting Christian Kirk, who, you know, we've talked about the contract for that. I mean, at this point, he seems he's outperforming the contract that he signed with them. 25.8 fantasy points. He had six catches on six targets for 78 yards and two touchdowns. So, I mean, not a whole lot of volume. They were up 24 nothing. They didn't. They the, didn't the Colts to. were listless. They didn't need to keep throwing the ball. So, that's encouraging for Christian Kirk. Trevor Lawrence, 18.5 points. It's a low-end QB, too, if you're in a super flex league. He's look from a real NFL standpoint though. He's looked better. He looks improved. When you have a better play caller behind you, that's going to happen. Looks much better. An actual NFL coach doesn't have Urban Meyer anymore, man. <laughs> he can actually start to develop. James Robinson, fifteen point eight fantasy points. Travis Etienne, eight point three. James Robinson got a lot more work in this game. Played a lot more snaps. It's trending the opposite direction for where it was week one. That being said, James Robinson is more of their bruiser running back. They're going to use him when they're ahead like this against the team and just kind of run up the middle and gain some yardage. Travis Etienne is more of their pass catching back. That's why he got more usage last week in a game that was more competitive. This week will be a big tell against the Chargers. You know, the Jaguars will probably be behind, and Trevor Lawrence should be dealing with a lot of pressure in his face. And if Etienne can't get, you know, 
five, six targets, a lot of dump-offs like that, and doesn't get any decent work in a game. They're, they should be playing behind game, in, in a positive game script for ETN. If he can't get it going, then I think it's time to start worrying. I totally agree with you. Evan Ingram, 11.6 fantasy points. He had eight targets, caught seven of them for 46 yards. Caught seven out of eight? Seven out of eight wow. for 46 yards. You've been working on them hands? Yeah, last week he had four catches on four yards for a, a touchdown as well. Or, I'm sorry, no touchdowns, so, or 28 yards. I apologize for the stumbling there. So, uh, he's missed one target. Again, he got eight targets this week. If you can get me 11 fantasy points without a touchdown from a tight end, I'll take that. I'm not dropping anybody to pick him up if I don't have him or, like, need to execute a trade. But if, if you have him at tight end, he's just kind of, you know, you're fine. No need to panic. No need to get overzealous either. So that's it for that segment. We're going to move on to another new segment of ours for the next game. It's called Superstar Shooting Star. So the concept for this is very simple. Have we seen a new superstar born in the fantasy football world, or is this just a shooting star? Just glowing brightly for a little bit, but going to pass us by and be out of sight and out of mind after a few day, after a few weeks. So, start with a few players. Drake London, week one, 5 of 7 for 74 yards and no touchdowns. Gets you 12.4 fantasy points. Week two, catches 8 of 12 targets for 86 yards and a touchdown. I believe he also got a two-point conversion in there. He got you 24.6 fantasy points this week. Double what he got you last week. On a not-so-great but oddly competitive Atlanta Falcons team. So what are we thinking here, Rich? Is Drake London a superstar or a shooting star? Superstar. Superstar? The kid's legit. He's legit. The All kid right. is legit, man. I mean, he looks like baby Mike Evans out there. Just a big guy, throw it up, and he's going to get it. And the reliable target for like, you. He just To me, he screams. I don't think he'll ever be the, the, the wide receiver one overall, but I think he's like a low-end wide receiver one consistently. Like high end wide receiver to low end wide receiver, just like Mike Evans. I, like I literally view him and Mike like, as a young Mike Evans. That was his like, comparison in coming into the draft too. Was Mike after Evans. watching him for two weeks, I've done nothing but solidify that opinion. Okay, and I know he was a guy when we were doing the off season stuff. You were going back and forth on how you felt about him, but a couple things, uh, his production a little bit in college, I think, was what held you back some. But it didn't seem to matter. He's getting productive now. Yeah, he looks good. So. That production may be coming at the expense of somebody else we need to talk about. So, superstar or shooting star, Kyle Pitts. Superstar. I'm not ready. I'm not out on Kyle Pitts yet, man. Still a superstar. He still had the greatest tight end season for a rookie in the history of the league. Um, we're talking. He was picked with the fourth overall pick. I mean, the, the dude's he, he's a wide receiver that plays tight end. I'm not out on him yet. I mean, I, we saw the comment from Arthur Smith about how this isn't fantasy football, we're trying to win football games. And, like, I'm sure right after he made that comment, like, he's like, I'm a doofus. Like, he's one of our best players. Like, I have to give him the ball. Like, it doesn't matter if it's fantasy, whatever. Like, he, you got to give him the football. Getting Kyle Pitts the football is good for both fantasy and In real, real football. football. Yeah. So, <laughs> but more I'm, importantly, it's better for your real football. <laughs> 
So I'm not giving up on him either. Just wanted to bring him up in this session because so far he's been disappointing. Yeah. He caught two of seven targets last week for 19 yards and no touchdown. He caught two of three targets this week for 19 yards and no touchdown. He's consistent. You know you can you can lock in your what? 3.9 points yep. a week. Lock it in. Yeah. yeah, so if you want to avoid a donut, there you go. So his decline seems to be coming at the expense of Drake London. I think we can get to a point where we balance this out and both guys can be useful from a fantasy's perspective. Another guy in this game we're going to talk about from the same perspective, was he just a shooting star last year or is he a superstar? Cordero Patterson. Shooting star. Shooting star. Yeah, I mean, I still think he's going to have some games where he's valuable and he blows up, but I just I don't see him doing what he did last year consistently again this season. And it looked like it last week. He had 22 carries for 120 yards and a touchdown. He also had three catches on five targets for 16 yards. This week, 10 carries for 41 yards, no touchdowns, and zero catches on one target. Last week, again, it was something we talked about. He was a lot more involved because Darrell Williams, I believe it was Darrell, maybe Damian, can't keep track of the, the Williams. D. Williams for the Atlanta Falcons was injured in the game and went down. So he is now on IR. He's going to be missing for a few games. This week they activated Tyler Algier, who got a little bit of playing time. Didn't really do a whole lot on the stat sheet. But, again, it doesn't seem like the plan is to have Cordero Patterson as their number one running back. So I'm with you. He's just a shooting star. He's nice for you last year. But he's. I think by the end of the season we're not going to be talking about Cordero Patterson as a starting running back. The final guy in this game we're going to get to for this segment, Tyler Higby. Week 1, 5 catches on 11 targets for 39 yards, only 8.9 fantasy points, but again, that's without a touchdown. This week, 7 catches on 9 targets for 71 yards. He's got 20 targets through 2 games at the tight end position. Are we looking at a superstar or a shooting star? Shooting star? That's what I, There's so many mouths to feed in L.A. As I feel like, as Allen Robinson gets more comfortable with Stafford... Less work for Higby. Van Jefferson's going to be back at some point. Less work for Higby. I, I just I don't I don't know how you you know Cooper Cup's getting his. He's getting his 10, 11, 12 targets. Like book it, like it's happening. And then you're really figuring out how many targets are left for the other five, six guys if you want to count the running backs. And we're looking at a team that's probably going to be ahead a lot of times. So. Stafford's dealing with the elbow injury. Do they try and limit his throws at all as the season goes? I don't know. I'm calling him a, a shooting star. He's a shooting star for now. I think we need a bigger sample size. He hasn't. He didn't do a whole lot last year for the Rams. I know he's been the number two target for through the through the past two weeks, but we usually see the Rams like to involve their wide receivers a lot more. Allen Robinson got more involved in this game. Still only five targets. He caught four of them for 53 yards and a touchdown. Again, he had that one catch and a touchdown that was called back due to the stoppage due to concussion, if you want to call it a stoppage, because they didn't stop the play. They reversed the play. That's so bizarre, man. Yeah. Other than that, in this game, like you said, Cooper Cup going to get his 31.8 fantasy points, 14 targets, 11 catches for 108 yards and two touchdowns. He got the touchdown the play after the Allen Robinson play was called off. Again, though, even you take that away, you 25 points from Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup's locked in as the as a top two wide receiver. I can't necessarily say that he's won over Stephon Diggs at the moment. That's a tough call for me there. So yeah, it's very tough, very tough. 
Other than that, Marcus Mariota, 13.4 points. You're not using Marcus Mariota in, in really any formats at the moment. All made Zacchaeus and Kadaryl Hodge, the next two pass catchers on the Falcons. You're not using them either. Tyler Higby, we said 15, or I'm sorry, 14.1 points. Allen Robinson had 15.3, caught a touchdown catch. Daryl Henderson, 10.7. Cam Akers, 8.2. Cam Akers, a lot more involved in this game. Looked better. Looked better, just from an eye test perspective. So keep an eye on this backfield to see how it involves. Again, this is another team. We won a third week. They won this game and put up more points and seemed like they had a more functional offense. They almost lost this game to they the Atlanta found Falcons. A way. Hey, credit the Falcons, man. They were fighting. Yeah, the Falcons almost did to the Rams what usually happens to the Falcons. And if you don't know what usually happens to the Falcons when you have a lead in the fourth quarter, Google search it, and they'll explain it really quickly. We'll get through these next two games really quickly. The concepts are going to be simple. We're going to talk about just kind of the teams and players on the teams, and it's going to be buy, sell, hold. Are we buying what we're seeing? Are we selling these players? Are we you know selling the idea of what we've seen th- so far, or do we need to hold off a little bit longer to determine? So... First game, New England Patriots versus Pittsburgh Steelers. This was a clunker of a game. New England Patriots pulled us out 17-14. to Apologize to anybody who took our advice last week on the pod and placed a bet on the Pittsburgh Steelers on our advice because they were getting points at home. We did recommend that last week in case you forgot. Did we? we did. I forgot. I had a bet in the Patriots that game. <laughs> See? Rich, we can't give advice on the pod that you then directly disregard. Hey, sorry, man. We tweet. said the Steelers were at home. Tweet at us, you know? At home getting points despite being 1-0 versus the Patriots who were 0-1. weird line. It was shady. You, know, so you knew something something was up with that game. The line stunk. That being said, are we... So where are we at with everything then? I guess let's start with the teams overall. Are we buying what we've seen from the Patriots so far? This is kind of what they are. Yeah. They're not... Yeah, yeah, they're going to be a very mediocre offense, and that's just it is what it is. They're going to play a very boring style of football. Are we buying Nelson Aguilar, who had 23 fantasy points this week? No. no. Selling the idea that Nelson Aguilar would be a thing? Yes. Was it a thing last year for the Patriots? The only be a thing this year. receiver I'd buy is Jacoby Myers. He's, he and was I don't... last year, and he continues to be Mac Jones' security blanket. Like he's, we, we know his touchdowns are limited, but... From 20 to 20, he's getting a lot of work. I was going to say, I feel like 18.5 is probably his ceiling. Yeah. But, but he's, he's the only... He's, he's going to be in that 9 to 13 point range most weeks. And then you're going to get a week like this past week where he goes for 18. Like, what more do you want out of a flex guy? Like, in some of these some of these deeper leagues, he becomes a lot more valuable. But in a 10-man league, I don't know if you really want to be playing Jacoby Myers. But Yeah. Damian Harris, 16.7 points. Are we buying Damian Harris as a viable RB2? Or are we selling that idea? Are we holding off to see a little bit more how this backfield unfolds? Maybe one more week. One more week. Fair enough. What about the Pittsburgh Steelers? Najee Harris, 13.9 points. Are we buying that this is due to injury? Is this just the inefficiency of the Steelers? What are we do- uh, I think it's a little bit of a combination. I think, one, the offensive line still not very good. There's there's nowhere to run when he gets the ball. It's it's like here, go run through this brick wall over there, kid. And it's like good luck. But like I think they're all, it's another it's gonna be another mediocre offense until we'll see when Kenny Pickett takes over. But I mean, it's not like Mitch isn't playing like awful, but like he's just he's not doing enough, man. He's just he's just not. He's he's playing very comparably to the way that Big Ben played last year, and I heard on another show. Earlier, basically explaining that 
it, like you said, it's not even a matter of Mitch. The offense that they're running with Mitch is still the offense that they were running with Ben Roethlisberger. They're still not targeting players down the field like they would like to. And a lot of the throws are coming, you know, over the middle, short over the middle, uh, you know, within line or within the numbers. Not a whole lot of throws deep down the field. Not a lot of whole throws outside the numbers either. Very limited offense in what they're doing. Najee Harris, you know, where you drafted him at, he still had 13.9 fantasy points for you this week. It's not the 20 points you were hoping with where you probably drafted him in some leagues. I'm starting to get worried about Najee a bit. He's not seeing the pass-catching volume that he saw last year with Ben, which is hurting his floor. He had six targets this game, five catches for 40 yards. Did he? That's what the stat sheet is telling me here. It didn't seem like that when I was watching the game. It did not seem like it that. It sure didn't. But, again, this is like I said. Remember, this is the kind of what I said last week with Amon Ross St. Brown, where I didn't feel like against the Eagles Amon Ross St. Brown had double-digit targets. But apparently he did, and I just missed all of them. So he had the six targets. It's really the run game that's limiting him and the fact that this offense isn't scoring a whole lot of points. He's not getting any touchdown opportunities. So his ceiling might be limited. I think his floor will be safe for the time being. But, like you said, something to monitor, and we'll see going forward with week three. What about the rest of the Patriots' pass catchers in this offense? Again, I mean, we kind of nope. talked about it with the scheme. I'm good. Any, uh, what are we, are we, uh, Deontay Johnson, 13.7 points, flex play, yeah. as opposed to Octon RB2, where we kind of wanted to, thought he would be at. Pat Fryer moved 12 points. He's just not there. Like you're saying, it's not there for Deontay. Pat Fryer moved 12.2 points. This is the second uh, week in a row he's gotten 12 in. points. Lock him in. Might as well. He's, he's, it, to me, he's a must-start at the tight end position. I mean, the tight end is such a wasteland. Like You know you're going to get solid targets. He, he gets looks when they make it to the red zone. He caught the, Give me the move. Trubisky's one passing touchdown last week. The other one was a defensive touchdown for the Steelers, I believe. So, yeah, he caught their only touchdown. Seven targets. He's involved in the passing game. When you're doing what they're doing, you're going to get a lot of targets out to your tight end position. So, like you said, lock him in. And I think that's everything for this game. This was a, yeah. a, a clunker of a game. We'll just move on. And there are four that. total touchdowns in this game. Like, let's keep it moving. Yeah, one of them being a uh, defensive one. So, we'll go to a much more high-scoring game with many more touchdowns. Miami Dolphins versus the Baltimore Ravens. What a game, man. What a game. So, are we... So let's start with this. This new Dolphins look offense with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle and the amount of passing volume. Are we buying this? Is this just kind of how the game's on, game script unfolded where they needed to throw this much? Do we imagine they're going to throw this much going forward? I think that game script forced them to do this. But also while they were doing it, I feel like they realized this is a viable option for us. Like, those... Uh, we know how fast Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are, but the, the two of them together put so much pressure on a defense. That, like who do you, whoever you want to try and shade with a safety, the other one's got you. Like it, whether it's horizontally or vertically. Like either way, they're, they're putting stress on the defense. They're putting a ton of pressure, and I, I think they may have figured out something in this game here. So. The only reason I asked is Tua Tagovailoa attempted 50 pass attempts this game. That seems rather high for Tua. Yeah. I don't know his numbers off the top of my head, but I don't know that he's you know had hit a lot of games where he's hit that threshold. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, I think like I said, game script pushed them to it. I don't expect them to throw the ball 50 times every week. 
But if they think they maybe are going to tend to lean a little bit more pass heavier than they maybe were in week one. And that was something we had talked about in the offseason as well, where there was some chatter that they might go to a run-heavy team, and we're like, that doesn't make any sense when you draft Jalen Waddle with a you know first-round pick, a top-15 pick, top-10 pick overall. Mm-hmm. You trade for Tyree Kill. Sign you franchise tag Mike Gusecki. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sign Tyree Kill to an extension after trading away for him. It's like, why would you then shift to a run-heavy offense? doesn't sound good. They got Mike Gusecki more involved in this game than they had last week. He ended up with 14.1 fantasy points. It felt like their whole team went off except for Chase Edmonds. Like, fantasy-wise. Like, Raheem Mostert somehow found a way to get 10.9 points. Raheem Mostert was operating as their RB1 this game. Not entirely sure why, if that's a game script sort of thing, because you would have thought Chase Edmonds was their pass catching yeah. back and they would have used him. So that, that running back room is it was one I didn't want to decipher. Yeah, it was one I didn't really want anything to start of at the beginning of the season. And this is again, this is one of those things where people like the zero RB strategy, or you know, not even a zero RB strategy, but I'll just wait and grab RBs later. Like this is the risk you run. Like I know. Some of the top RBs disappointed this week, like Najee Harris and Jonathan Taylor, didn't necessarily give you the scoring that you were looking for. But even that, like their floor is still about as high as the ceiling for some of these guys ends up being. So I was out on that running back room to begin with because, like you said, I thought that'd be a pass-heavy offense. Tyreek Hill had 42 fantasy points. Jalen Waddle had 40 fantasy points. I believe they were the number one and number two wide receiver uh, until Stefan Diggs until played. Stephon Diggs. Until Stefan Diggs played, right? Can't forget about him. Tua Tagovailoa, 38.86 fantasy points. He had six touchdown passes. Mike Sicki, as we said, 14.1. On the other side of the ball, Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson, 42.6 fantasy points. He had. 119 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown in addition to 318 passing yards on 29 passing attempts versus 50 for Tua Tugavailoa. Rashad Bateman had four catches on seven targets for 108 yards and a touchdown. He also he caught a 75-yard touchdown pass, so that's where a huge uh, chunk of his production came from. Mark Andrews, the number one target on this offense, still 11 targets for... 11 targets, 9 catches for 104 yards and a touchdown. Nice bounce back week for Mark Andrews. Part of the reason Rashad Bateman saw so much target share was Devin DuVernay got hurt earlier on in this game. He had 2 catches on 2 targets for 42 yards. Prior to that, he seemed like he was sort of operating as their one. So this is, again, an offense where I want to buy in on Rashad Bateman. I have him on all three of my redraft teams. But I'm nervous that if Devin DuVernay comes back, that Bateman doesn't get his target share. And again, 75-yard touchdown catch. Not going to happen every week. 14 and a half of his fantasy points right there. If he doesn't get that catch, he has six and a half fantasy points. So I want to. I'm nervous. I'm holding on Rashad Bateman. Buying Lamar Jackson, I've been buying Lamar Jackson, still buying Mark Andrews. Devin DuVernay, another hold. Wait a week. Okay. You disagree? You feel differently about anything? We'll see. I'm, I'm down to... But yeah, I'm buying Lamar, buying Mark Andrews. Bateman, I'm holding. DuVernay, holding. Okay. And that wraps it up for their side. All right. So... Any final thoughts on any of the games that we've talked about? Anything I might have skipped over or didn't really mention uh, from that last game? The Ravens did lose offensive tackle Ronnie Staley. Check his status. It'll affect the run game if it ever shows up. 
but I'm not expecting much of anything from the running backs at the moment. None of the running backs had any fantasy relevance for the Baltimore Ravens this past week. When J.K. Dobbins comes back, he's going to have to earn his way into a starting lineup. I'm going to need to see two good weeks from J.K. Dobbins in a row before I feel comfortable starting him once he's back. Until then, I don't want any part of the Ravens running backs. Any thoughts on that? Uh, No, that's fair. Definitely want to wait to see J.K. Dobbins before you run him out there in your lineup. Yeah. Juwan James, offensive guard for the Ravens, did go on IR. He tore his Achilles, so at the moment the Ravens are down two of their starting offensive linemen. That's another reason to be nervous about the run game. It also might affect the passing game. It might lead to more Lamar Jackson scrambles and a little less passing volume. But other than that, that is going to be everything from us for this episode. We are going to be coming back with another episode at you this week. We're going to cover the late... The later half of the games, we still got two games from the 1 o'clock slate to cover, as well as, obviously, the 4 o'clock Sunday night football and Monday night football. But until next time, I'm Ryan McNichols. Reach out. Peace out.